All right, what's happening, everybody? It's great to see all of you today. I'm pretty inspired and fired up by what the Lord's saying and doing. We're going to talk a little bit about the cross, and we're going to talk a lot about why Jesus had to die on the cross. Last week, we talked about how Jesus had a foreknowledge of the fact that he would be going to the cross and laying his life down. And more importantly, was not so much the fact that he knew, but what the response was that came out of the disciples every time he said it. The main issue with the disciples is that they were mindful of the things of man versus mindful of the things of God. So when Jesus would talk about going to the cross, being mocked, persecuted, and that he would die, instantly the disciples would start to think about themselves. Who's the greatest? Peter would jump up, rebuke Jesus, pull Jesus to the side, rebuke him, and tell him, certainly not, you're not going to Jerusalem to die. Every time Jesus would say that he was going to the cross, going to Jerusalem, that would be persecuted, mocked, scourged, and die. Every time that happened, he would also say, but on the third day. The problem was, is the third day resurrection was not what they were hearing. They had a lens and a filter. All they could hear and all they could see was death. Okay? That's exactly what the enemy wants you to focus on. But you're not going to make it. Religion's a lie. The church doesn't care. You're all alone. Jesus doesn't care about you. Death and destruction is all that the enemy lays out before us. But Jesus constantly reminds us about resurrection in the third day, which we'll talk about next week. Today, we're going to talk about the power of the cross. So there's a lot of people that don't understand the power of the cross or why Jesus had to die on the cross. Now, I'm going to tackle a massive subject, but I'm going to try to keep it so simple for you this morning. Okay? There's no way I'll be able to get it, on, get it all in in one service, which is why I've got a whole lifetime to share the messages, to, to preach and teach, equip and empower, and I'm so excited. You know, there's not enough time in your whole lifetime to know everything that the Lord has done and provided for you. That's why it gives you a whole lifetime. And that's why I'm not in this massive rush for Jesus to come back and just end it all. I don't have a doom and gloom, doomsday, just push the button mentality. I know that death and destruction and darkness are all around us. And the world is waxing worse. And darkness seems to be more pervasive than it's ever been. Today, over 43 Christians were killed in Egypt in churches. Coptic Christians murdered in Egypt, were martyred, really, in Egypt this morning. The church and Christianity has become the most persecuted religion all over the world. And if you don't think that that's going to knock on our doorstep at some point, you've got to be sadly mistaken. Okay, so it's coming, but the good news is, is that we have a mission and a job in front of us. We have a purpose. God has a plan. The Lord's not caught off guard, and he's not sitting in heaven going, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was coming. All right? So we have to trust the lordship of Christ, and we have to bring justice to the injustices that are around us. And Jesus coming and dying on the cross would be the ultimate act of justice to put an end to injustice, and we'll talk about that. People will come to Rock City Church for the experience, but you'll stay for the relationship. The Lord's into relationship and community, common unity. What God cares about is family, tribe, and a united front and a militant church that stands together to defeat the darkness that's coming against us. God wants a militant church. We're in a war. We're in a war. And the minute that you stop fighting is the minute you've already been captured. And the enemy's such a master deceiver to get you bored with Christianity and bored in the doldrums of religious routine. 
That's what the enemy wants to do. He's a liar. He's a master manipulator. And the Bible says that we're in a war. It's good versus evil. It's light versus darkness. And all around us, the enemy's working on overtime to keep us separated and divided. And so God does the supernatural to attract you to him. In Psalm 139, it says that God made his ways known to Moses. He made his ways known to Moses and his acts to Israel. And what that means is, is that through encounter and experience in the supernatural, it's attractive. The presence of God, a church where we really worship in spirit and truth, where we're not out to uh, be a, a show or man pleasers, but we desperately want God, we want his presence, and that's attractive. We talk a lot about the supernatural, and we demonstrate it here at this church. You know, on Wednesday night when I came, I was so proud. Amber and I were up front worshiping, and the altar was packed with people worshiping, and the church was alive and vibrant. And this ministry school from Austin came down, the Heart of David, with Rick Pino's school. And Jose was preaching, and the worship was incredible, and our church was alive and on fire. And I felt so proud. I said to Amber, I said, this just feels so incredible that an outside ministry school full of young adults that are passionate and excited, that have dedicated their life to worship, can come to Rock City and we actually already have the bar raised high enough to where they're stepping in to something that rocks them. Jose pulled me to the side and said, this is the most incredible church that we visit. He said, it's so easy for us. And I want to tell you how proud of all of you I am and how proud of this church is I, I am. But he said, it's so easy because we don't have to plow ground when we come. It's like the heavens are open and the people are so hungry. And I'm so proud of you for that. This is a place where the hurting and the broken and the desperate should be coming. And here's what I know. So many of you right now are struggling. You're struggling connecting with the Lord. You're struggling to be able to commune with him and talk with him. Many of you are in very dire situations and desperate situations. Some of you are living in the streets. Many of you are, are struggling with addictions, whether that be pornography, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. So many of you are struggling in your marriage. You know, there's massive attacks on marriage right now. Amber and my marriage with my wife, Amber and I's marriage is under attack right now. But everybody's marriage is under attack because God hates marriage. He hates, or I'm sorry, the devil hates marriage. Let me rephrase that. Just making sure you're paying attention. See, you are. So the devil hates marriage. You know, he hates marriage because marriage was instituted by God for an incredible purpose. And two people laying their lives down and becoming one flesh is a lifelong process. And the enemy works on overtime to divide us so that we wouldn't be a good example and to divide you. And so I know marriages are under attack. I don't have to just look at divorce rates. I hear the stories. People are, feel alone and they feel isolated. People feel distant from community and feel like they're not accepted. And so much of that comes from shame. There's worry that if we really knew you, we wouldn't like you. And that's what the devil says. If we really knew who you were behind closed doors or what you did or what you've been doing, we wouldn't like you. And the enemy's constantly trying to define you based on your past. So I have people come to me all the time and they tell me their struggles and their challenges. I have people that confess the strangest sins to me, just the oddest things. They just feel like they need to tell me. And I think that they do that because they feel like they can trust me. I call it the tell the truth anointing. And the truth is, is that I really am not shocked by anything that I hear. It doesn't shock me anymore. 
First of all, I've heard so much. But second of all, I realize that's world normal. Everybody say world normal. When you're living carnal or when somebody doesn't know the Lord and they're not following in the Holy Spirit, we have what's called world normal. And world normal is strife, division, spinning out, ungodly beliefs, anger, unforgiveness, manifesting all kinds of things in their life. It's world normal. What I want to do is get Christians to not live world normal. That, that's what we really have got to do, yeah. is we've got to get you to finally arrive. Mm-hmm. You know when you're going to finally arrive? You know what I believe the ultimate place of finally arriving is spiritually? It's not that I built great kingdoms and impacted the world. It's not that I did all these wonderful things on earth. For me, the greatest place of arrival is when you learn to be spirit-led in all you do. Where I'm fully following after the Holy Spirit and not sidetracked with my own desires, my own struggles, my own distractions. And I believe that's the place of fully arriving. That's why in Romans 8, 14, the Bible says the true sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit. I want to get you to the place where you're hearing the voice of the Lord for yourself. Because when you hear the voice of the Lord, it deals with hard hearts. It gives you direction. It brings you comfort. It brings you exhortation. That's why prophecy is so important. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians Corinthians 14 that prophecy brings comfort and edification and exhortation to people's lives because prophecy is a direct speaking of God's voice or God's word. Now, I want you to become a prophetic generation. I want you to be a prophetic people. I want you to hear God's voice full time. Now, when you get an experience from the Lord, it brings establishment to your life. It brings stability to your life. And that's why experiences are so important. You should always remember 111, Romans 111. I teach on it a lot because Paul said that he longed to visit the, Romans church, the, the, the Roman church so that he could impart a spiritual gift to them so that they would be established, that they would become stable in their faith. And in turn, there would be this mutual benefiting with each other Verse 12 says that we would benefit together because you've had an experience and now I've had an experience. And then it becomes normal. So praying in tongues in this culture, that should be normal. Doing what Jesus did in this family and community and tribe, that should be normal. Unfortunately, in most churches, the supernatural has become abnormal. So we pray in tongues, we cast out demons, we lay hands on the sick. All those things in so many churches have become abnormal But when you get the experience for yourself and you're with somebody else that's had the experience, you go, man, I was praying in the spirit today and we're like, okay, that's awesome. What's next? We're not even thinking twice about it. But churches can be completely divided on praying in tongues, completely divided on an outpouring of the the supernatural and the spiritual. But we're not going to be those people, right? And so we're creating a church and I'm being a little bit pastoral and fatherly for you for a reason. The purpose of Rock City Church is to build a community, a tribe, and a family that brings effective change to the community around us. It's advancing the kingdom. So we get the kingdom in us so that we could advance the kingdom around us. So God does it in you so that he can do it through you. Let's say it together. He does it in me so that he can do it through me. It's basically receiving something so that you can deliver something. And if you don't receive it, you can't deliver. And we're going to talk about that in a moment with the Apostle Paul, how he received and in turn, he delivered something to the people. 
So this is a church where we have long worship, where we take our time, where people can come up. We bring our kids up so that they can learn how to worship. And we let kids be kids. You can't make a five-year-old have to lift their head. That's the last thing we want to do is make our children worship. Instead, we want them to see how we worship and be attracted to it so that when they become of age, they'll make the choice and decision to do it. Okay? We want to teach our children in the way that they should go, but they ultimately have to make the choice for themselves. And so we create an atmosphere and an environment that's designed for the hurting and the broken and those that are struggling. If you're struggling today in your marriage, in your home, with your health, whatever it is, we create an atmosphere where you can come in and have an experience. But an experience isn't going to ultimately sustain you forever. You've got to get into relationship. If you're not in community, you're out of the will of God. I'm just telling you right now, because God is out for a body. Yeah. You, hands got to have ears. Eyes got to have feet. We have to have a body, and God is in the family. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor likewise. They go hand in hand. You can't, do the, you can't get the last six commandments if you don't get the first four. And the first four are all vertical towards God, and the last six are horizontal. So what we want to do is we first want to get you vertical, but then you've got to get horizontal with each other. The lies of the enemy are to keep you separated. The core reason why we would stay separated is shame. I'm just telling you right now. We don't feel like we'll find other Christians that understand, that are like us. All the Christians we ever knew were judgmental or critical or hypocritical. And then we're looking at all these other Christians that they're the problem when the truth is, is we've got to become a solution. Because if we become it, then we can build it. And that's what God's doing. He's building community. And we're not the only ones. We're not the super elite utopia church. We're not the narrow vision, 144,000, the only ones. There's a lot of churches that are hungry and desperate for the things of God. But what I do know is there's a lot of churches out there that are institutionalized, that are controlling and manipulative, and there's no move of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? I've come out of several and then I talk to a lot of you. There's a lot of people that have come out of manipulating and controlling churches. Or their parents were. Or what they saw on TV or the street corner preacher. Here's what I want to tell you. Let's shatter that. Let's break that. And let's not be angry and bitter. We're not starting Rock City Church because everybody else is broken. We're just going to stay in our lane and do what God's called us to do. And we're going to love everybody else in the midst of it. Yeah. Right? So we don't knock those churches. Jesus was hanging on the cross. And the very ones that he loved and healed and demonstrated the greatness of who he was, he fed him, he healed him, he comforted him. Those very ones were the ones that were crucifying him. And he said, forgive them for they know not what they do because they were in deception. You can't forget the fact that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But the devil would sure like you wrestling against each other, especially in the church. Especially in the church. Remember that. Especially if you're going to call yourself a Christian and if you're going to get into the fight and you're going to get into the game and you're going to build a community like this, you better believe the enemy's going to work on over time to tear this down. So every week I cast vision because a healthy community and family is built on vision and leadership coupled with a lot of the supernatural. You got to have the supernatural in the midst because they establish you. Some of you haven't had experiences for a very long time. That's why I encourage you, come up during worship, come up during altar calls. Get into relationship with other people that are like-minded. I want you to be in community with each other. <clears throat> 
And the challenge is, is so many people want to be in community with just the pastor. Now, before I got married, let me tell you what my life was like. I was eating fried chicken, fishing, shooting pool. There's a country song about that. What would I do if I didn't have you? I would sit all day long meeting with people. I was out on the streets doing street outreach starting at 11 o'clock at night until 3 o'clock in the morning. I slept in every day. Oh, man, I had it made being single. I was, I was full-time all the time. But I'm not in that season now. And even then, I was frying my own self out. When we started the church, I looked to a prophet by the name of Kevin Leal. He'll be here next month. And right off the bat, he inspected my life. And he says, if you keep leading this way with top-down leaders, you're going to fry yourself out. And then he showed me Exodus 16 and Numbers 11. And he showed me where in the Bible Moses had to learn to delegate. And he taught me one of my best phrases, one of my favorite phrases, do what you do best and delegate the rest. Now that applies in every area of our life. That's why we need marriage. That's why we empower and we teach and we equip and we reproduce. It's a kingdom principle. And then I went on to realize pretty quickly that Jesus would pick 12 people and invest his time in the 12. He didn't have time to spend time with the multitudes except in the context of feeding them, healing them, and bringing life to them. But then he would empower other people to do it. Also, lest you forget, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. My folk, I lived a lot of life single, guys, without kids. I didn't start having kids until my four. I got married at 40 and had my first child at 41. My focus and my time on my energy now is my wife, my children, investing into the leadership here so that they can raise you up to reproduce and become leaders so that each one can teach one to manage the business as well so I'm not solely dependent upon this church for money. That's a good thing. I'm just telling you, okay? <laughs> and it doesn't mean that we don't raise up workers that are, full, that are paid full-time from the church. That's not what I'm saying. But the Lord had something unique for me, and he raised me up to be bivocational. So between the businesses and everything that's going on, the only way that I'm going to be able to do this without frying out is to empower and to delegate, which means I need every one of you to get healthy and rise up. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to tell you, because the last thing I want is for you to just sit in the seat week after week living Sunday to Sunday, not growing, not blooming, not hearing the voice of the Lord, and being solely dependent upon somebody else. It's easy to play the blame game. It's easy to play the blame game. It's easy to blame your situation and position on somebody else, and it was somebody else's fault. I can't blame my parents. Now, my parents made a lot of poor decisions. My dad taught me a lot of things that were contrary to the Bible, but he also did a lot of things that were according to the Bible, not even realizing it. My parents brought a lot of neglect into my life and left me at babysitters. And my earthly father abandoned me when I was one and wanted my mom to have an abortion. I spent so much of my childhood at babysitters, neglected. It produced a man-pleasing spirit in me. It caused me to want to please everybody. It was self-preservation so that I wouldn't be left behind anymore, so that you would like me. And I still have to wrestle and deal with those things even to this day, even in this church. Because the Western Americanized culture is if I'm really good and I preach really good and you really like me, then you'll come back or you'll give your money. And that has to be broken out of my life. 
So I'll have these supernatural on fire mountaintop experiences like explosion, eruption, lava one week. And then the next week I'll feel like I fell right flat on my face. I'm like, Lord, where did you go? And the Lord teaches me not to be dependent upon anything else but him and to not find my self-worth on how good I was. Now I'm having a vulnerable, transparent moment with you because if I don't take these times to teach us as a church, you'll miss the vision. You got to understand the vision. We're passing on the baton to the generations. I'm already thinking five and 10 years down the line. And the purpose isn't to grow a big church so I can get your money and have a big bunch of fame. And if you're not careful, you'll fall prey to the lie that the pastor's too busy and he doesn't care about me. My heart is for all of you, or I would be a terrible pastor. I never get swayed or affected by what you did or the things I hear. I had somebody the other day come up to me that I was having do some work for me. He came up and he just started telling me all the sins in his heart and in his life and He's like, I don't know why. I feel so, it feels so easy to talk to you because I know you're really going to love me. But I have such a struggle coming to the Lord. And I said, let me tell you how the Lord is. You know how easy it is for you to talk to me? Well, he made me an earthly shepherd. He, he, raised, he called me to be an earthly reflection. I'm not him, though he's in me. Now let me show you how easy it is to talk to him. It's just as easy as you're talking to me to talk to him. So it's easy because somebody's tangible. Now, this is for somebody here today. You're really struggling being able to talk with the Lord, and you got shame, and you're having a real difficulty praying and communing with him. So here's an answer for you. And so it's easy because somebody's right in front of you. They're tangible. I can talk to you in person. And we often say, man, I wish, Lord, you'd just appear to me one time. Send one angel. I just want to see one time. Come on. Some of you know you prayed that. Because I have, Lord, just one time. I just want to hear your voice, just audibly, just one time. And after Jesus resurrected and he appeared to the disciples, walked right through the door, and he appeared to the disciples, where we have the story of doubting Thomas, they, the disciples didn't believe. And even Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch you. Okay? This is a direct assault on our faith to this day. And so, so Jesus lets Thomas touch his hands and touch his side. And then Thomas believes, his rock to the core, I mean rock to the core. And then Jesus says this profound statement, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Now, what I want to tell you is God gives spiritual eyesight to see the supernatural signs and wonders all around us. He gives you that ability. In fact, if you read Isaiah 11, it talks about how Jesus would lead not from eyesight or by what he hears in the natural, by what he sees in the spirit. You have to learn to get a spiritual eyesight. You have to learn to see from your heart, not from your natural eyes. Though God does give you vision in your natural eyes. All around you, you can see the works of God. His creation, he's constantly revealing himself to you. I mean, I've been having more time and number. My phone is filled with 1111s, 444s, 222s, and 333s. I am not kidding you. I'm, and 555s. And all those mean something to me. Because I look at numbers and signs and wonders. I don't live my life based on those, but they're little things where God reminds me and shows me he's right there. And all of his creation is constantly crying out night and day to reveal who he is. So Paul would later go on to say that so are the preachers. Preachers are like creation crying out night and day to reveal the hand and the wondrous works of God. I can teach you that another time, okay? And so... The enemy wants you to believe that God is distant and he's not close and get you to isolate yourself and not be able to commune with him, okay? But 
blessed are those who believe and have not seen. The word for blessed, if you look that word up, it doesn't mean like I just gave you something or I bless. It's more than just a normal blessing. Like you have your business, you have, you know, whatever you can think is a blessing from God, that word for blessed is superior. It means supremely beyond, above and beyond, and exceedingly blessed are you when you learn to walk by faith. And what really is happening is, is you got a faith issue. You're struggling with faith. You're struggling in believing because you don't see or feel like you hear or that God cares. Faith, shame, lies. And many of you have come out of churches where all they taught was obedience, obedience, obedience. You better obey. And I'm going to tell you, you're never going to be able to obey until you get faith first. We, the just live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Okay? We live by faith. Romans chapter 10 makes it very clear. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 9 makes it very clear that the word of faith says this. It's right near my lips and in my heart. It doesn't say who will ascend the heights or the depth to bring Christ to us. Meaning, pastor, you're the only one that can bring me the word. You got to get past putting me on a pedestal. My sole desire is to reflect and challenge you to go live right. Get me way off the pedestal. I'm in the trenches every day too. And some of you are, are living in this sorrow from your past because you've lost a loved one. You have a broken marriage. Somebody you really trusted left you. You've been hurt. You were done wrong. And you're living in remorse and regret and sorrow. I know that feeling really well. I lost my mom and we lost our daughter at 32 weeks last year. And if I start to overly process and go down that path of thinking about that, sorrow and dread comes on me and suddenly I become so sad. But as soon as I allow the Holy Spirit to come into my thinking, to think the way that he thinks, suddenly I realize they're with him. This world is only temporary. Don't get so stuck in this world, guys. Okay? Now, I'm yearning and longing to be with the Lord in heaven. You know why? Because the Bible says that when you get when that day comes, when the end comes, whenever the end is, there'll be no more sorrow, no more pedophiles, no more child abuse, no more human trafficking, no more weeping, no more death. I know what it's going to, it's over. And I'm longing for that. But at the same time, I realize there are people here on earth that do not know what I know, do not know what you know, and have not experienced the supernatural life that God has for them. And they're headed to destruction and perishing and death. And they're, they're destined for an attorney for death if somebody doesn't come in and bring life to them. And at the same time, I got kids. And I want to see grandkids. They're a promise from God. I, I read my Bible. They're arrows in, in the hand of a warrior. And I want a lot more arrows. And I understand the fact that this world is still a beautiful place. Despite the darkness and the death and the wickedness and destruction, which is why you have got to stop living in CNN and Fox News. I'm just telling you, you got to get your news feed from heaven or you're going to get apathetic. Mark my words. You will get a skewed, warped view of God, the kingdom, and the world around you if you don't start get renewing your mind. You got to renew your mind every single day. You guys doing all right? I'm just bringing, being pastoral and fatherly today. I don't, you know what? God has me plan and write messages. I write out six, seven pages of notes every single week and spend hours of study. And the Lord reminded me, you plan so that I can lead you where I want you. You always have a plan so that I can take you into my plan. How's that, right? 
Okay, so we're just going to be chore choreographed from the Lord this morning. All of us can be choreographed. That's the scripture, 1 Peter 4.11. Write that down. Let him who speaks, speaks, speak the oracles of God. And let him who ministers, ministers as God gives the ability. The word for God giving the ability is the word choreograph. It means that God just comes in and takes over, and like an orchestra, he plays and he leads and he delegates where he wants us to go. The main thing for me is that I'm listening to him. And I can't tell you how many times I come in and I get swayed by my message and my word and all the work I did, and I better stick with it. What matters more than anything is that God's arrows and his word are hitting hearts in the sanctuary so that you get awakened and you prop up to believe the truth so that when you walk out of these doors, you had an experience. Too many people are coming to church looking for the wisdom of man and the wisdom of words and not the power of God. And we're going to change that. We're going to change that. And I am going somewhere and it ties in with the message. So what happens is we fall prey to the lies of the enemy and we isolate ourselves and we start believing that God doesn't care because we're not reading our Bible, being renewed, hearing his voice, walking by faith and trusting by faith. Okay? Only you can, can get the spiritually disciplined thing down. There's nothing I can do to make you more spiritually disciplined. Nothing. Except challenge you, encourage you, propel you, support you, love you. And even when you don't get it right 100,000 times, 100,000 times. And you keep coming back. You get yourself back up and you get encouraged and you start getting, getting spiritually disciplined so you can get on fire. The only thing that makes me on fire is hearing God's voice and knowing who I am in Christ. And when I know who I am, and I'm confident in that, that I've got the Savior, the King of the universe backing me. Oh, man, it's over. Now, today's Palm Sunday. I'll come back to acts and ways here in a moment. Today's Palm Sunday. I do not have a Palm Sunday message for you. Well, let me rephrase. I really do have a Palm Sunday message because I read my Bible. Now, I'm only saying that to challenge you. You want me to give you a Palm Sunday message? <clears throat> here it is. Jesus rides in on a donkey. No, this is powerful. I'm going to give you the shortest Palm Sunday message you ever had. Jesus rides in on a donkey, and the people grab palm branches and lay them down as he, and their clothes and lay them down as he enters into the city. Why palm branches? I taught on this last year. Palm branches, palm trees are powerful. Psalm 92.12 says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. In Revelations chapter 7 all the nations, tribes, and tongues of all the world after the great tribulation are clothed in white in heaven holding palm branches because palm branches represent kingship, abundance, and life. And so they're screaming as Jesus comes in, Hosanna, glory to God in the, in the highest, salvation from our God, the king of Israel. Now they must have missed the fact that he was on a donkey because a real king comes in on a white stallion. But they were just like, we'll overlook that. Certainly, this is going to be the time. Because they were mindful of themselves. Thinking about themselves. Is this going to be the time that the kingdom's going to be restored? Because just one week later, the very same people that were throwing palm branches down saying Hosanna, which you know what Hosanna means? It means, oh, save. Save us now. And a week later, they're saying, crucify us because you didn't do it the way we thought you should. Because Jesus, the king, certainly wouldn't have gone to the temple right away and flipped over the tables. 
That's not what a king would have done. He would have reestablished. Same thing's going on today. God's focus is not just push the button rapture time. And if you're living in push the button rapture time, then you got to get a renewed mind because you're missing what the Holy Spirit wants to do. God's got a purpose for us right now, and I'm, as, I'm excited. Now, it's hard. It's going to be dark. There's going to be a lot of tribulation and trials. There will be martyrs. Okay, there will be martyrs. And it's, a sad, it's sad. But the good news is this, we have kingdom mindset and kingdom perspective. Okay? And so, check this out. In Acts chapter 1, Luke is retelling Luke chapter 24. I'm going to storytell a little bit for you right now. In Acts chapter 1, Luke is retelling Luke chapter 24. And he says, where Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, to come. And the disciples say to Jesus, is this going to be the time? They're just thinking, set up the kingdom. Come on back. Restore Israel. And they say, is this the time that the kingdom will be restored and Israel will finally come into its promise? And you know what Jesus says? It's not time for you to know. It's not time for you to know the times and seasons that the Father's put in his hand. But, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in the nation and all over the world, paraphrase. So here's what he says. You're focused on Jesus coming back. You're focused on the end times. You're focused on eschatology and revelations. And I'm not telling you to read revelations, and I'm not telling you not to study out some eschatology. But there's a job to do. There's a harvest coming. Souls are dying. Children don't know what, we sh what they should know. There's religious dysfunction everywhere. And we have so much to get done in such a short time. And distraction is everywhere around us. And we're constantly thinking about the restoration of the kingdom when Jesus says, I'm going to send the promise of the Father to make you better witnesses so that you can get the job done before I come back. That's what he was really saying. Now, I was reminded last night about the fact that Jesus is going to come back at and unexpected. I was actually reminded of this a few days ago, but re-reminded of it last night. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, when everybody was drinking, partying, and living lives under themselves, when revelry was rampant and abundant, as in those days, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, at a time when people least expect it. In, Revel in Matthew chapter 24, it talks about Jesus coming back as the lightning from the east to the west, talks about... Uh, the appearing of the Son of God and what it's going to be like, what the people will be doing. And in Matthew chapter 25, it talks about the, the, ten, the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, and that everybody fell asleep waiting for the bridegroom. And then at the midnight hour, a cry came from heaven. A cry came that the bridegroom was coming. The virgins got up, but only five of them still had a full lamp. And the Lord reminded me that the promise of the Father also includes the return of the Son and the great day of the Lord. Because in, in Joel chapter 2, it says, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And then he goes on to say, Blood, fire, pillars of smoke, sun darkened, moon turned to blood. And in those days, anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I just paraphrased Joel chapter 2 for you. Okay? And here's what happened. And the other morning, about 6.20 in the morning, I'm sleeping hard. And I think I hear some pitter-patter steps going down, pitter-patter feet going down the stairs. And I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I said, no, certainly not. <laughs> Go back to bed. 
And then I hear, beep, disarm system now. Beep, disarm system now. I have an alarm system in my house. I spring out of bed and I run as fast as I can downstairs to disarm the alarm system. And then I listen and I don't hear a sound. Nothing. But I realized the only way the alarm would have gone off is if a door opened. So I go out into the backyard, 6.30 in the morning. There's my kids out. And we have a pool. There's my kids in the backyard playing in their new playhouse, swinging on their new swing that we just got. They're so excited they can't help themselves. (laughs) Needless to say, we've locked the gate at the top of the stairs. Let me just say that. Here's my point in telling you that. We have a plan of what happens if the alarm goes off in the middle of the night. She goes to protect the kids. I call 911 because the only way that that alarm is going off is if a door opens. We have a plan, and you should all have a plan, but I have an alarm that alerts me in the middle of the night, and I know if that alarm goes off what I'm going to do. Here's the spiritual understanding. At a time and an hour, people least expected Jesus is going to come back. Read Matthew 25. Now, for those that know the Lord and have full lamps, when that cry, it's going to be a screeching cry in the middle of the night. When that cry comes, we're going to go, and you'll see light coming in through your windows. It's going to be, you're going to know if you're born again. You're going to go, the bridegroom's coming. And the Bible says that when he comes back, you'll either do it with exceeding joy or you'll be filled with terror. You'll either be doing backflips down the street or hiding under your table. I want to be doing backflips down the street. I don't know about you, but I want to be ready. Okay. Now we've had four blood moons. The world is racing. The point is, is I don't know when Jesus is going to come back and it may be generations to come, which is why we're doing what we're doing at Rock City Church, which is why you better be spiritually ready and dialed in and tuned in. There's no time to play around. Wickedness in this world is waxing worse. Do not be a lukewarm, half-hearted Christian. Pay attention. I do not want you woken up in the middle of the night with an empty olive jar. And that's the premise. The answer to being ready is not hurry up, Lord, push the button, rapture time, I can't wait. The answer is stay full of the Spirit. And let's get the work done and not run out of oil when he comes back. That's the answer. And I want to keep you full of oil. You get it? Catch the vision of Rock City Church and why we're doing what we're doing and what all churches should be doing. And I can't keep you full all the time. I'll give you something to get you going. But when you walk out these doors, you are going to have to cultivate that personal life. I get it. I'm I'm not so high and mighty spiritual. We struggle. We wrestle. We have hardships. I get woken in the night. We got woke up last night. My son was crying. We don't know why. He's not sick for an hour. He's just wide awake. Maybe he had too much sugar at a wedding that I took him to last night. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Too much wedding cake and gummies. So I'm only going to get to a couple of scriptures. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you homework. I'm coming to the place where you've got to stop being consumer Christians. God doesn't want an audience. He wants an army. Thank you for being here. I'm really glad you're here. Yeah. I'm really glad you're here. Now become an army. I can't carry the weight of the pressure. All I can do is reflect, represent, let God do what God does best and be orchestrated and choreographed, 1 Peter 4.11. Okay? That's what? And then you got 2 Corinthians 12, 12, 2, 1, 2, 1, wait, 2, 1, anyway, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, 
The true signs of the apostles are demonstrated through signs and wonders. Okay? So what God does is he attracts you, but I need you to get into relationship. Well, I said all that probably just to say get into community. <laughs> Stop being offended and hurt and isolated. The only way it's going to change is if you become the change. And we raise up in a, a kingdom of people that are like-minded, not all the same. I'm talking about unified by the Holy Spirit, not, not uniformity. Yeah. I don't want a bunch of cloned robots. What I want is the uniqueness of who you are, the uniqueness of what you believe, coming into relationship and community with each other because that's what we need. So I'm not out to be better, preach better, be more exciting, hope that you come back. What I'm out to do is for you to get a lightning strike from the Holy Spirit for you to get so rocked and encountered and fascinated by God that you want him more, but you also want to be in a relationship with each other. That's what I want. So we got women's event. Amber's doing, my wife's doing an event for moms that up to kindergarten age. Yeah, we've, we've talked about opening up to all moms. Can you imagine? We'd have 150 moms. It'd be really awesome. But she's specified in what she's doing right now because she's being led by the Holy Spirit. And I don't have to, I don't have to lead from the top anymore. I, Lauren came up with this awesome idea. We talked about, man, we wish the church would be open more often for prayer. And remember those days when the church used to be open all the time and you could just come in and, and pray and seek the face of the Lord. Anybody of you remember that? Yeah. Everybody over 40 might remember that, okay? <laughs> and so she said, well, why don't we start having these days where people can do that? And she came up with the idea and, and they just let it. I didn't have to have top-down leadership. This isn't a top-down leadership thing. You've got to get your eyes off the fact that you want the pastor to be in relationship and sit with you with coffee. That was pre-marriage for me. And kids, pre-kids. Amber, Amber even said, if we didn't have kids, you could go do whatever you wanted to do. That's what she said, right? And so relationship, community, being dialed in, keeping your lamp full, being tuned in. I'm just being fatherly and pastoral with you today. Okay, always being alert, being spiritually awake, being sober-minded. Sober-minded means that you are understanding and looking and watching and being spirit-led. You want to arrive, you want to be sober-minded, be spirit-led, okay? Now, Paul would, would teach one main message. He had one primary main message, and that was the message of the cross. And in 1 Corinthians 15... Paul makes this fantastic statement about what should be first in all of our lives, okay? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. I'm only going to be able to give you a couple scriptures this morning, okay? I'm not doing the whole Palm Sunday thing. You can read it later. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, the, kings, the kingship's going to be reestablished. We're talking about the cross a little bit today and the, the importance and the power of the cross. So I want you to see this. He delivered what he received. Now, was Paul an original disciple? Was Paul at the cross? No, he was not, okay? In fact, Paul was a murderer. Paul was an outlaw in the sense that he was out to kill Christians and he was out to destroy the kingdom of God, okay? But Paul received something. Hence, the point is, is from generation to generation, the promises of God are passed down to each other. And even though Paul wasn't there, Paul received the testimony from the scriptures, according to the scriptures, and according to the other disciples of what Jesus had done and the promises of God from the Bible, he received what he delivered. Hence, the point is he does it in you so that he can do it through you. The term delivered is an awesome term here because the term delivers, uh, the term delivered means this, the 
fruit will not give itself up until it's completely ripe. The fruit doesn't yield itself until it's completely ripe. That's the understanding of delivering something. So I'm giving you fruit. And Paul, the fruit had to become ripe in his life. He had to receive something so that he could then give it in a beneficial way to somebody else. He had it in you so that he could have it through you. Okay? And you can read all about that in Acts. What did he deliver? That Christ died for our sins according to what? According to Scripture. Everybody say according to Scripture. You have got to read your Bible. I love you guys so much. Get, get study note Bibles. I read the Glow Bible. I love the Glow Bible. It's my main number one Bible. It's going to cost you 35 or 50 bucks. Spend the money. It gives you footnotes. It gives you every version. It gives you all these different study resources. And I read all those. I really do take the time. I want to know content and context. I give my life to the studying of the scriptures so that I can really understand. I want to know him. And I'm not doing it just so that I can be a better preacher for you. Yeah. Okay? I'm doing it because I long for him so that I can deliver something to you. I got to receive something so that I can deliver it, okay? So that Christ died for what? What did Christ die for? All right. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Did Paul have the New Testament? No, because he wrote almost all the New Testament. (laughs) Okay? So Paul didn't even have the New Testament. But what scriptures did he know? He knew the Old Testament scriptures. Over 300 about 350 or so prophecies that pointed to the Messiah from the Old Testament, and he had studied it out, and he had read them, okay? Verse 4. This is the fun thing about next week is this part, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. According to what? Prophecies everywhere about Jesus resurrecting. Prophecies everywhere. But the people wouldn't see it. I want you to see it, and I want you to understand according to the Scriptures, the promise of God. But the first thing that Paul wanted to make sure everybody understand was the message of the cross. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Christ didn't send me to bat. So I don't know. Maybe this was a thing back then. And I don't know. Kind of sounds strange that we're arguing over who baptized us. I mean, maybe today it's like I've asked people, are you a Christian? They're like, well, I was baptized Catholic. I hear that a lot. I'm not anti-Catholic, by the way. I'm just telling you I hear Are you a Christian? Well, I'm Catholic. Or I, it doesn't compute to me. Okay, Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran, everybody should be born again and believe in Jesus. And there, there are born-again believers in all denominations. Okay, There are. I've met spirit-filled, tongue-talking, charismatic Catholics. I've been to a charismatic conference with Mama Colleen. One of the first things we ever did together, we drove to San Antonio, and there were tongue-talking Catholics. It was awesome. Bobby Connor was there. I mean, it was supernatural. Catholic conference. I know some of you are on tilt right now. Okay. So people are arguing over who got baptized. Doesn't that sound silly? Like who baptized who? But I guess back in the day, this was a thing, right? So Paul says, I didn't even cut. My calling isn't baptizing. My calling is preaching the gospel, which is the good news. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So here's what happens. I'm going to give you the, the, the contrast. If I make a decision to preach with wisdom of words and you make a decision to want to hear with wisdom of the words of men. And trust me, I like breaking down a lot of words, okay? I love treasure hunting in the Bible. But you got to get spirit and wind driven, and you need the spirit because that brings life. The Bible says the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life, okay? And so what Paul's saying is if I go with the wisdom of words, I'm going to make the cross of no effect, okay? That's not what we want, nor is that what we should be pursuing. Let's look at verse 18. 
for the message. Everybody say the message. So the cross has a message. Make sure you understand there's a message of the cross. You need to learn it. You need to know it. I'm not going to have time to go into it today. I'll give you some fast snapshot bullet points, and you're going to write some things down. You're going to go study it, or you're going to listen to this message again online next week, and then you're going to go study them out, okay? Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, okay? So the, mes- the message of the cross has a resulting effect. The resulting of the effect of the message of the cross is salvation and the power of God. Now, I want you to notice this says being saved. Do you know that I am being saved right now? Salvation's not just a one-time thing. Salvation is or was, is, and will be. It's a process of renewal. That's why I teach that being born again and being saved are two different things. Now, they go hand in hand, and they are a dichotomy that work parallel together. When you get born again, you then get into the process of salvation. He saves you. He continues to work in your life so that you will be saved when he comes back. Because being saved here is the word sozo. It means to be made whole. It means holistic. If you study this word sozo out, it has two root words. It means, let's say this together, okay? He rescues me. He delivers me. He protects me. And he makes me. That's salvation. How often is he rescuing you? How often do you have need? <laughs> it's not like, man, some of you need it a lot more than others, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Which is why we do what we do. Keep coming up for those altar calls. Not to get a quick fix and hope that somebody else, but to stand with you, and hopefully my ministry team's going to point you to, to Christ on the cross. But you're never going to be able to bear your own cross unless you're looking at the cross. There's a message of the cross that keeps everything in a perspective in your life every day. You don't just get the message of the cross at Easter or Passover. The cross needs to be front and center in your life every single day because you'll never be able to carry your cross if you don't have perspective. What is the ultimate perspective of bearing our own cross? What he did on the cross. And many of you don't even really understand why he died on the cross. And there's this lie out there that God's a child abuser and that God's purpose wasn't the cross. They must not be reading Isaiah 53. Because the Bible says that it was God's good pleasure to strike him down. It was God's good pleasure to do that to his son. You know why? Because if you read a couple more scriptures later, if you learn Isaiah 53, if Jesus had not been stricken and taken, God the Father was looking way beyond. He could see resurrection, third day, and sons and daughters everywhere. All we can see is abuse. Why would God do that to his own son? Mindful of the things of man and not mindful of the things of God. Okay? So the message of the cross is foolishness. The word foolishness is the word uh, moronic. It means moron. To be a fool it means in the Bible, in the Greek, it's a moron. It means a blockhead. It means that you're so hard-headed, you're, you think it's silly, it's dumb, and it's useless. And people that are perishing, perishing, by the way, means it's not predestined to die. Perishing is like a rotten piece of fruit that fell off the tree that never got consumed and eaten and rots away. If you have any orange trees or grapefruit trees in your, in your yard and they fall to the ground, which we all do, I've had them too, and I can't eat them all, and sometimes it happens. Watch what happens to that piece of fruit over time. It just perishes. That's what the concept of perishing is. It's rotting away. It's slowly dying, a slow death, okay? 
And so anybody that makes the choice to go that direction and then you preach the power of the cross, that's silly. You're going to have to understand the cross is foolishness to the world. Now, if you go on and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which I've read it so many times and I love it. I love, man, I love the, the whole book of Corinthians, but check this out. Paul goes on to say, where's the scribe? Where's the intellectual? He says he makes foolish the prudent. The word prudent in the New Testament in this chapter is the word intellectual. That's why I teach you. The intellect is a terrible master, but it's a wonderful servant. Okay? So God's given us intellectual and logical understanding, but to be spirit-led and wind-driven yeah. by it yeah. or by him. Got that? And so he goes on to say, where's the scribe? Where's the de divisive people? Where are they all? God's actually going to make foolish the wisdom of this world. So your lower logic is subject to higher logic and not vice versa. So he says, I'm going to make the lower logic things of this world foolishness. You're going to have to be converted and start thinking like a child. Not being childish, but being childlike. God doesn't want childish sons and daughters. He wants childlike sons and daughters that go back to the beginning, that fully trust him and have lordship in their life, all right? Okay, so the, the, the message of the cross has an effect. And what is the effect? Salvation and power. This word for power is dynamite. It's dunamis. It's not exousia. What he's saying is, is the cross gives you supernatural ability to overcome and be transformed and then bring supernatural ability to other people's life. It's miracle working power. And nobody gets miracle working power without the cross. I just love that. You will never get miracle working power until you embrace the cross, come to it for yourself, and then take up your cross and become a disciple and lay your life down. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. Doesn't mean you're not in process. Nor do I think you should be chasing after miracle working power. My endeavor is not miracle working power. My endeavor is to get people rocked by the Holy Ghost so that they'll come into a relationship with him. So now I want miracle working power only so that I can get you in the process to know him. So somebody comes anywhere I go, I prophesy, I lay hands on them, command the demons to leave their life. Why? Not so that I can be Mr. Anointed Guy and Mr. High and Mighty and get you to give more money. I don't care about any of that, nor should you. Don't let your ministry and your calling be front and center for you. Your desire is the king and to rescue people's lives. If you have that in order, don't go answer some call to pastor until you first get the main thing, the main thing. Okay? Get the main thing, the main thing. So I'm going to just give you this because I'm out of time. I'd like Nathan and the worship team to come up, and I'd like my, my ministry team to come up. Okay? Take, write these down or just listen to the message later. <clears throat> do you know that most people do not understand why Jesus had to die? Now, to teach you why Jesus had to die, had to die is a lifetime endeavor. Keep coming back to Rock City Church, Okay? But let me, let me summarize it for you a little bit. In Genesis 3, you have the fall of man. You have a, God's promise and, and a prophetic vision for Adam and Eve. They sin, and God comes right in in Genesis 3.15, and he makes a promise. And the first promise was that Jesus would come, and he would be a seed. You can pull this up on the screen. Genesis 3.15 says that, Jesus, that ultimately God, you can read this, he'd put enmity. This is God's answer to the fall of the garden. And this is Jesus prophesied from the garden, okay? And then we jump over to uh, Genesis chapter 
12, and you have the promise, the covenant promise to Abraham. You've got to understand covenant to understand the cross, okay? So when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he compares the Last Supper, eating and drinking from him, of him, to what he's about to do on the cross. And then he says, this is the blood or the cup of the new covenant. This is communion at its finest, all right? But he makes this promise to to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your name's going to be great. You're going to be a blessing. Next verse. I'm going to bless you. If they curse you, you'll be cursed. If they bless you, you'll be blessed. Abraham was the first Hebrew outside of the covenant promise of the garden to get this promise. It says, in you all families of the earth will be blessed. That's us. The Bible then goes on to say that if you're a believer and born again, you become the seed of Abraham through Christ. Lots to know, lots to learn. Read your Bible, all right? And so he gets this promise Promise about being a great nation and that all the families of the earth. Then if you look at Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18, you get the rest of the covenant promise. So powerful. After, Abra- after Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, God, the angel steps in, calls, he's just about to sacrifice his son. Whole incredible understanding there. Picture of Jesus, picture of God the Father is awesome. Abraham, uh, the angel says, stop. Then the angel speaks a second time and he says this, verse 16. By myself I've sworn, says the Lord, he made a covenant first with himself. And he says, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, verse 17, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. Your descendants will be like the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies. Go read the book of Ruth. Ruth is an incredible promise of this scripture. And then God, through Ruth, raises up a son from Obed, Jesse, and then comes David, and then comes the lineage of the Messiah. So God was all about restoring covenant. Now, why sacrifice? Sacrifice in the Old Testament is for worship, is for um, simply that also for sacrifice, but it's also a picture of atonement. And look at the scripture in Leviticus. I'll leave you with this. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, you say, well, why did Jesus have to die? Everybody say atonement. That is so simple. I mean, I'm giving you just the littlest thing. What is atonement? Atonement's making the wrong right. Atonement is reconciliation. Atonement is as you were once an orphan, now you're a daughter. Atonement's you were once far away, now I'm making you a part of the family. Atonement is the wrong that you did. I'm going to, I for myself will make it right for you. And now all you have to do is say yes. It's a reparation. You know what reparation means? It means to repair the wrong that was done and make it right. And how would that happen? In the Old Testament, it was blood for blood. It was life for life. It's one thing to give up your house, your money, give me all your money. That's great. You can get those things back. But nothing is as powerful as a life. And Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this, that he lay his life down for his brother. Jesus would pay the ultimate price. He would shed his blood to wipe out your sins. That's going to be foolish to the world and those that are perishing. But not to you if you believe it. It becomes the power of God. Okay? I would encourage you guys to read Isaiah 53. I would encourage you guys to read all four of the Gospels in Jesus being crucified and what it was like you've got to always come back to that shoot watch the passion of the christ again that's a once a year movie right there the passion of the christ is a once a year movie right now is a good time okay 
But more importantly, let the Holy Spirit, let God show you what he went through. Read your Bible, meditate, let him speak to you. Come to the cross for yourself so you can be forgiven. Forgiveness is one of the greatest things. I know I said that would be the last one, but really this is the last one. Galatians 3.13. This is one of my favorite scriptures when it comes to the cross. You know how you're when you're li- you know how you know if you're living in a in a curse? Thorns, thistles, anger, depression, misery, darkness, isolation, shame. Those are all curse signs. But guess what Jesus did? He reversed the curse. Let's all say he reversed the curse. Yeah, this should get you so fired up. You never earned it or deserved it. And you're never going to be worthy enough. Come on. You're never going to be good enough. Ever. Break that shame out of your life. He reversed the curse. When you were fully living in it, he came and gave his life for you. Read Romans chapter 5. Okay? You're going to walk out of here so hungry today. He's reversed those things that are going on. Strife, division, selfishness, animal tendencies, carnal nature, living for self, spinning out an addiction. It's reverse time. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!